Welcome to the Branding for Abundance podcast. My name is Dr. TK. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and success coach. My goal on this podcast is to simply teach you how to proclaim your victory in your relationships, academic and career endeavors, business, money, and your mindset. Learn some simple tools and techniques to brand your life for abundance and live your epic lifestyle. Welcome back to the Branding for Abundance podcast. This is Dr. TK. So in today's episode, we are going to address a very big topic that continues to come to me from my current coaching clients because they have already um, started, branded, and opened up a private practice, and they are trying to determine if group practice is right for them. So the topic of today's podcast is, do you go from individual to group and And more importantly, when do you expand? So I want to talk to you about the top three reasons you want to expand into a group practice. Um, But before we do that, I want to define what a group practice is. And so when you think about a group practice, you want to think about, let's just say if you were the CEO of a group practice, um, then you are the founder. If it's more than one person, of course, then you are co-founders of the business, the entity, and your group practice. Group practice is also defined as having individual staff that work under them. So these can be licensed or unlicensed clinicians. And depending on what state you're in, they will be classified as contractors and or employees. Now, another thing you want to think about in regards to group is that the group typically, the group practice and the owners typically take care of the billing and they also take care of hiring staff, including administrative staff. Um, And then the group practice also takes either partial or full responsibility for administrative tasks, such as returning voicemails, but that can also be divided up with the clinicians because they can triage their own cases and so forth. Now, as far as the role of the therapist, the clinician, um, I'll speak to my group practice, but I've also interviewed other group practice um, owners. And typically the clinician's job is to show up, do all of their paperwork, usually remotely as well, because we have electronic charting systems or EHRs. And depending on the structure of the group practice, the clinician's job is to also attend a consultation. And I would say that that is highly suggested that the owner or the co-owners of the group practice meet with the clinicians from time to time to go over administrative updates, provide positive and constructive feedback, and to talk about any changes and or do consultation related to cases. Okay. And then clinician's job, of course, is to also determine how many hours they're going to give to the group practice. Um, but typically that's also set up by the owners, um, regarding how many clinicians they want to hire and for what hours or days of the week they need, um, help with because of maybe the clients that they're attracting. So that's what I would define as a group practice. And I wanted to take a moment to 
define what that means because I've, in my earlier days, I've ran into um, clinicians who say that they have a group practice, but then when I start either hanging around more or maybe some places that I've subleased offices at, they've declared it to be a group practice simply because they sublease their office space to other clinicians and they can give them their referrals because people call that number, but they don't pay the clinicians. All the clinicians are on all of their own insurance panels. They have all of their own private pay rates. And so as I started to branch out on my own and do my research to determine what is a true group practice, it seems that the one that I originally defined seems more like the streamlined definition and then other people kind of make up their own. Okay. So let's get into the top three reasons why you would want to think about and or go ahead and expand to a group practice. So reason number one, um, this one probably is a no brainer, but you are receiving too many referrals. So maybe you're in the position where you have too many referrals that you can handle. Maybe you don't want to turn them away. Um, maybe you are in a rural area, meaning there are not a lot of clinicians either physically in your location and, or maybe you have a specialty that you offer that other people don't provide and or serve that population. And another one that I'll actually add is you may stand out in the crowd based off of what you look like. So I'm going to say ethnicity and gender can play a very strong role. For example, there are not, unfortunately, um, there are not a lot of men in mental health these days. Um, and so I, you know, I tell all of my college students and graduate students that they are a male and if they happen to be uh, bilingual, especially in Los Angeles, I'm going to say bilingual in Spanish, um, and they are minority. They are winning right now. And I'm not saying that other people are losing. I'm just saying that they are a hot commodity and I need them to know how much of a hot commodity they are. So if I'm speaking to you right now, you are a hot commodity if you fall into any of those three categories. Um, as far as myself, I actually fit into the category of looking different in terms of being an African-American black Psychologist, So that's like two, you know, and then on top of that, when I first started my private practice and I, I still consider myself fairly young, I mean, I'm 39 years old at the rec- time of the recording of this podcast episode. But when I started my private practice, I was 32 years old. So I did not look 32 either. So um, I looked a couple of years younger. So in that aspect, the population that I was serving, it meshed really well with the parents because the parents felt like not only do you look young, but also you relate to my child very well. So that within itself um, was multiple specialties. Okay. So one of the reasons why you want to expand is that you're receiving too many referrals and you also don't want to turn people away. Um, Reason number two, Maybe you want to supervise licensed and or non-licensed clinicians. Um, And within the same um, category of the second reason, maybe you also want to delegate services to other clinicians, again, because you're receiving too many referrals. And possibly you want to take on more of an administrative role, meaning you're decreasing your hours because you are or you have the ability to delegate delegate, um, tasks to other people in your office. Um, And then and along with supervision, of course, you want to serve as a mentor and or supervise students. So all of these reasons that I'm sharing are also from a personal 
nature in regards to why I started a group practice for a few years is that I was receiving too many referrals. It got to the point where, um, I did not want to turn the clients away because they were my, they were still my ideal client, but I did not have any type of room anytime soon. So what I chose to do is hire clinicians that had the same style as I did in regards to how, you know, or what's their approach in mental health services. Do they also conduct, you know, individual and family therapy? Are they a woman or man of color? Um, are any of them bilingual? Because even though I am not bilingual, I only speak English. Um, I, in my area that I worked in, I usually attracted a high rate of African-American clients, Pacific Islander, Asian-American and Hispanic. Okay. So that represented about, I'm going to say 95% of my caseload. And what I found out when I would either treat them or do a consultation is that, Either they really read up on me and they were like, wow, you're really my match. And or before they got to know me through the consultation, they just in a very indirect way said that they wanted someone who was colorful. You get what I'm saying? So in that aspect, I recognize that not only could I see clients, but I can hire clinicians to do the same. So that um, sums up number two. So then the third reason is um, you've recognized that you are a true leader. So with that, I actually want to go over some characteristics of what a group practice leader would look like and then what that would entail. So the first characteristic, which we just mentioned a few times, is the ability or the desire to want to delegate task. Now, I do believe as a business owner that you do have to have a desire to delegate task off your plate and that you are more than willing to receive help to learn how to delegate task off your plate because that's not something that's typically taught. As a mental health provider, we go into school by ourselves, we graduate by ourselves, we do our internship hours um, you know, by ourselves in regards to us learning clinical skills for ourselves. And so we're really not taught how to delegate tasks because we're taught how to see the client, do case management, make sure that we are practicing ethically. And then if they need to end treatment, whether it's graduation or be referred out, then we need to low-key become a case manager if we don't work at a clinic. And so we're not taught how to delegate tasks. And this is one of the bigger areas that I talk to with my coaching clients because they actually have given me a lot of pushback, even though I tell them that we're going to talk about delegating tasks. When it comes down to talking about delegating tasks, they push back and say, well, no, I could just get that done in five minutes. Okay. So more than likely I'll do a whole series of what this looks like, you know, delegating tasks, but we'll save that for later. Another characteristic um, regarding being a leader to determine if you can um, have a group practice, practice a successful group practice is um, you have had the experience of building a system and you want or you have the desire to have your business run while you're not there because that is the true definition of scaling. So a lot of clinicians or business owners say, I want to scale my business or I'm scaling my business. I need to learn more techniques. I need to see more clients. I need to make more money. And the latter is true. Yeah, your revenue will increase. However, you're supposed to be removing yourself from the revenue, most of the revenue generating activities, except for the ones that only you can do. So if you say I'm the only one who can create content for my Instagram live, or I'm the only one that can create content for my email list, I would say the first one is 
possibly 90% true. Or you can run your ideas by a copywriter. They can help you flush out your ideas or a coach. And then you can go on Instagram Live and or for your email list, you can tell your team of copywriters or you know branding people on your team, videographers, stuff like that. You can tell them what your goal is at the end and then they can help you formulate your ideas, right? So the goal of a practice is to build systems so that when you want to go on a vacation, your clinicians don't have to go on a vacation and your business will not get shut down when you want to leave the country for three weeks, okay? So to run a successful group practice, you do have to build systems, okay? You also um, have to have the desire to learn how to train your staff, which means that you have to have a high level of patience. So I hear this a lot with therapists where I will ask them, you know, why haven't you delegated that task out? Why haven't you made a video about it? Why haven't you hired someone to do this? Or why aren't you training the help that you have already? And they were like, "Why, you know, I can just get it done myself in five to 10 minutes. But my question to you is, if this is you, is this a recurring task? Is this something that you have to do every single week. So I'll give you an example. Um, I just launched the Dope Therapist um, Tribe 2.0, which means that it's our second round and it has more bonuses than the first time we launched this program in January of 2020. So I hired a virtual assistant in which she helps me with a lot of the back office tasks. And even though she's working full time, when I first hired her, I knew that eventually she would make it to 40 hours a week. But to be honest, I didn't want to not hire her simply because I didn't have 40 hours a week of work. And so We negotiate on a rate and she was hired for 40 hours a week, but I told her it's going to be a step up progression. And so literally um, two weeks ago, I decided to start taking note of the recurring task. And the reason I would know that I shouldn't be doing the task is because a little voice will pop up in my head when I've been on the task for more than 15 minutes. And it would say something like, but it was my voice. It was really weird, but interesting. It would say something like, now, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this right now. You know, you need to delegate this to somebody on your team. What you doing and then it's like the angel and the devil like in a cartoon um that's the angel saying that and then the devil is like but you can get it done in 15 minutes you know and so they're starting to have a like a heated debate and then that's when I recognized maybe I need to actually take a list of all of these things and then within seven days I took massive action and I started giving you know one at a time because I don't want to overwhelm my staff members with too many new things at a time because they're learning how to do it and I also want to make sure that before I fully let them free without having to double check their work that they do it for a week or two or a couple of days depending on the task and then I would let them go free meaning I don't need to check their work I trust that they're doing what they're supposed to do right but I had to have the patience to be able to train my staff to be able to do those things and I had to put systems in place in order to train them because some of my team members are not in my state let alone in my time zone okay so another characteristic that I want to share with you um, and actually I'm going to put the last two together is that you have to be willing and ready to give feedback positive and constructive and of course vice versa you have to be willing to um, receive feedback and so I make sure because of course I've been an employee pretty much my whole life since I was 14 years old working part-time at different places and so you know as a student worker during the summer and so I value positive uh, verbal 
reward, such as, you know, you've done a great job today. I really liked how you did this. So I make sure that anytime I create some type of training system for my staff, which right now, again, because um, that particular staff member or team member is building up her hours with me, um, I make sure that every time I make a video, because I do usually screen shares when I show them how to do something, is I make sure to give them positive feedback while I'm sending them the video, okay? So, and then I always ask um, my teammates when I'm sending something out, you know, does that make sense? Do you need more clarification? Let me know if you have any questions. Do you have any feedback from the last video or training that I sent you? Or if we had a Zoom call, do you want to give me feedback face-to-face? Some people don't want to do that. They may want to email it to me, but I make sure to keep that wide open. And so those are the top three reasons that I believe um, any clinician who wants to expand or grow into a group practice should think about first before jumping into a group practice. Um, But I do have a disclaimer. So maybe you're a person and you're listening to my podcast episode and you don't have a practice yet. I would say um, you can do one of these two things. You can either open up your own part-time private practice. It could be online and or in the office if you're able to go into an office at this time and or go into a group practice to actually see how one is ran. And so I have worked for what other people would claim as group practices, even though they were not once I did my research, but it was still good experience. I got to see how you know referrals worked, how collaboration worked, how consultation worked, how um, you know I talked to, of course, the individual clinicians. I got to know how how they marketed or branded themselves for particular specialties. But then, of course, I would also go on a lot of interviews for group practices and they ran it how I ran my group practice, which is why I learned how to pick their brain, even though I may not have chosen to work for that particular group practice. So um, I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Just to summarize, three reasons to expand are one, um, you have too many referrals and maybe you don't want to refer them out. Number two, you really want want to serve as a mentor and or you want to supervise um, licensed or and or unlicensed clinicians and delegate out tasks. And then number three, you deem yourself as a leader. And then I listed a couple of characteristics for a leader that would be successful in a group practice. So I really hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you really, really want to learn more about building and branding a private practice, like growing one before we scale one. Um, But let's just say you haven't started a private practice yet and or you have, but maybe you're stuck. Maybe you're stagnant. Maybe your business is not growing at the rate um, that you would like and you want to make sure that you're on the right path. I want you to click the link in my show notes and I want you to take my private practice quiz. It's free. And at the end of the quiz, it will help you classify truly how ready you are to build and grow a private practice business for therapy. Okay. And even if you already have a practice, I would encourage you to take the quiz because when I've given this quiz to my clients um, in their beginning phases of starting with me, we usually do a lot of assessments. They recognize through these assessments when they're fully transparent because they have to answer the questions to get the results. They recognize that they 
kind of low key jumped into a private practice. And even if they have been doing a private practice for a long time, they've never received help or they, you know, strictly rely on, you know, no problem with it, of course, because I do podcasts and YouTube videos, but they heavily rely on that information and they really never sit down with a coach like myself where I work individually and in groups with clinicians and I really help them brand the roadmap to get them to the outcome of the private practice that they desire. So if this sounds like something that you're interested in, again, it's free. It's not going to hurt you. Um, Take the private practice quiz to determine how truly ready you are to either build and or grow a mental health business. And if you're not already doing so, please check me out on Instagram. Make sure you click follow and turn on notifications so that you can also be notified when I go live because those things are typically not scheduled at all. And if you want to go the extra mile, I really want to see your takeaways from this podcast episode. So snapshot a picture of this episode on your phone. Um, post it in your um, stories on Instagram and or in your thread if you would like and tag me or simply go on to one of my posts and let me know what was your biggest takeaway. Let me know what episode you listened to and um, you know I'll be in touch. I love to engage with you on social media. So until the next episode, I will see you later. Love you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle.